Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Second Chronicles chapter number 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. I encourage you, uh, if you're willing to work in VBS, be sure and stick around for that meeting. You'll get some important information. Brother Carroll will be running that meeting, and uh, he'll give you all the information that you might need for Vacation Bible School. Uh, it's upon us. Amen. It's hard to imagine. I was telling him in, in Sunday school this morning, it feels like it's snuck up on us. I don't know why. Uh, but I encourage you to be sure and be a part of it and uh, get these flyers out. This is the last week that these flyers will matter, all right? So uh, be sure and get these out and uh, put them in the hands of, of families, of young people, and let them know about our Vacation Bible School, and uh, I encourage you to be sure and get involved, and that's one of the ways you can get involved. You've probably got neighbors that live around you that have little kids or the ones always playing in your yard, amen, breaking your stuff. And uh, you say, preacher, even those kids, yeah, invite those to come, amen. We want them to come hear the gospel, get saved. Maybe they won't break your stuff, amen. But uh, I encourage you to be sure and invite them and uh, get that information out. You might have grandkids. You might have nieces and nephews. You might have people in your life. Uh, you know, my son was saved at Vacation Bible School a couple years ago. And um, I praise the Lord. His destiny, eternal destiny, forever changed because he was at vacation Bible school. And uh, I, I don't sometimes, and I don't think any of our people are like this, but there's some churches, they look down on things like camp, vacation Bible school, children's ministries and everything. I remember hearing a preacher say one time, he's talking about criticism that you receive when, when you try to reach young people uh, with, with uh, the gospel. And somebody had made the comment to him, said, well, you, you know, you'll only, uh, you'll only get them there if you can give them a hamburger. He said, I'd give them a whole McDonald's if you get them saved. Amen. And uh, I, I believe we ought to do everything we can. The Bible says to compel them. Amen. And uh, who's going to compel them? You and I are going to compel them. And we're going to go out and tell them. Amen. We're going to go out and invite them. So I encourage you to be actively involved in that this week. You ought to, you ought to try. Ask the Lord to put somebody on your heart or on your mind uh, that you can invite to Vacation Bible School. And it could make an eternal difference in their lives. Uh, we won't take the time, but we can go around the room. And I promise you half a dozen or more of you that are in this room were saved at a Vacation Bible School. No telling the difference it could make in somebody's life. And uh, not just in their life, but in their spouse, in their kids. I mean, hey, this is how this thing works. Amen. Uh, you say, well, preacher, isn't it great when adults get saved? Yeah, I love it when adults get saved. I really love it when kiddos get saved. Before they've got years of mistakes and of scars and of regrets and of shame, I just love it to see them come to know Christ. So I encourage you to be involved in that this week. Second Chronicles chapter 26, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 16. We're uh, picking up on the end of the life of a king over Judah by the name of Uzziah, King Uzziah. He was the one uh, that is described in the book of Isaiah in the opening uh, chapters in chapter 6 as having died when Isaiah saw his vision of the Lord. But Second Chronicles 26 gives us a little background of his life and uh, sadly of, a, of a, a mistake and a shame that takes place in his life towards the end of it. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse number 16. Speaking of Uzziah, the Bible says, But when he was strong... His heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now you might say, well, preacher, why is that a big deal? Well, because the Lord had forbid kings from being a part of the priesthood. And because being the king over Judah, he was the tribe of Judah. And so he wasn't a Levite. So it wasn't his place. He had no business. He was trespassing and going in to offer this incense. The Bible says in verse 17, And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. 
And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself all hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. We'll stop there and pray. Lord, I love you and thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to come into your house, to preach your precious word, Lord, to hear from heaven. It's a precious, it's it's a treasured thing to get to be here today. And Lord, I'm privileged and I'm honored to get to be a part of it. Now, Lord, I pray as we approach your word that we'd have our hearts humble and open to the truth of it. Lord, this is a message today that we're going to need humility for. We're going to need honesty and transparency. Uh, Lord, we're going to need sincerity. So I pray that you would birth in us that spirit and that heart. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have our attitudes right before you. Lord, may we, as we hear the word of God preached, may we not look to one another, but examine our own lives and allow you to examine us. And may we allow you to do a work in us that would bring you glory and would change us more into the image of Christ. Father, there could be some that are lost here today. That's not lost on me today. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and in their lives. Only you can show them they're lost. Only you, Lord, can really show them how to be saved. Lord, we can do our part, but it's going to take the active work of the Holy Spirit. So I ask and I trust and I know that he will do the work that belongs unto him. And may we be obedient unto you as we hear your word. Lord, we love you. Bless our time together. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As I said a moment ago, we are reading sort of the closing statements concerning the life of this man, this king, by the name of Uzziah. Now, it's interesting when you study the kings over Judah and over Israel. Israel, without exception, had only wicked men ever set on her throne. But the lower kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah had sort of a mixture. There were some good kings, some godly kings. There were some wicked kings and some some unrighteous kings. And there were kings who were complicated men whose lives could probably not easily fit within one category or another. One of the things I love about the Bible is that though it's about the Lord Jesus Christ, it talks about people and it talks about them honestly. And Uzziah's life was a life that I think could honestly be said to have been a complicated life that was a mixture of both good and of bad. As a king, he did many great things. In fact, he was probably one of the most illustrious and industrious kings that Judah ever was privileged to have. But when we look at his life spiritually, we find that the vast majority of the early years of Uzziah's life, he was a consecrated king. He lived for the Lord. He loved the Lord. He he obeyed the law of the Lord. 
And he has this unbroken testimony of obedience to God and of a generally favorable disposition all the way up to verse 16 of our text. The Bible says in verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Can I tell you, listen, hey, just because you've lived for him before, that don't mean you're going to live for him tomorrow. You with me this morning? Come on, help me a little bit now. Just because you've lived for him before don't mean you're going to live for him tomorrow. You know what happens in people's lives? They just get this assumption that they're always going to live for God the way they've always lived for God. And then they wake up one day and realize they ain't living for God. They uh, let their guard down. They, they lax in their commitment and in their diligence. And it seems as though in Uzziah's life, everything was going well. God was blessing. God was favoring him. And then in that moment, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. I want you to notice three things. I'm trusting the Lord to lead me this morning. I'm going to preach a little bit and then I'm going to give you my title. I want you to notice by way of introduction the transgression of the king here. Notice number one, his promotion. The Bible says it was when he was strong. We have a tendency to think that sin rears its head in our lives when we are weak. But can I be honest with you? Most of the times the worst sins I've committed have not been times of weakness, but it's been times of strength. This moment of failure was not a moment of weakness in his life in which he felt fragile, in which he felt vulnerable. Now, by the way, fragility and vulnerability is not a safeguard against sin, but it is certainly true that often when God has promoted us and blessed us and favored our lives, we then allow ourselves to grow lax in our devotion and commitment to Him. Every good thing he had in his life had come from God. Can I say to you, every good thing I've got in my life has come from God. And can I tell you something, every good thing in your life that you've got has come from God. And very often in our lives, it's in our promotion, in our uh, elevation, in our advancement that we find temptation the strongest. Notice not only his promotion, but I want you to notice his pride. Now, how did this transpire in his life? The Bible says in verse 16, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. The Bible has an especial warning against pride walking throughout the pages of God's Word. Over and over and over again, the Bible warns us against pride. It is the uh, primordial sin. It is the original sin. It is the sin that cast Lucifer out of heaven. It is the sin that set hell ablaze. It is the sin that has destroyed many a believer. And can I be honest with you? Pride is often the very most present uh, sin in your life and in my life for it, it, it It lurks unawares. It stalks uh, without noise and without breath. And if we're not careful, we'll allow pride to destroy us. There is such a thing as a godly pride. Pride in what God is doing and pride in God's blessing. But that's not the pride we have to worry about. It's that pride that's rooted in flesh. Most of the time, hey, listen, here's what Paul learned. He had learned when he was weak, he he was strong. You know what that implies? It implies when he was strong, he was weak. Why is that? Because in moments of strength, we find ourselves feeling as though we need the Lord less. Can I be honest with you? You need God more when you're strong than you do when you're weak. You sense that need deeper when you're weak, but you need Him more when you're strong than you do when you're weak. 
many a believer, God has favored and blessed their life just like He did use I. And I hope God does bless you and I hope God does bless me. Uh, but oftentimes with that blessing, uh, there is a skewing, a, a, a schism that takes place in our mind and we begin to think that that thing has come at our hand and at our ability and at our talent and at our instigation. And Uzziah, God had blessed him. He was a, he was a, a, a favorable king. He had the heart of the people. He was advancing the, the financial, the economic state of Judah. He was building war machines and creating inventions and it was an exciting time in, in the kingdom of Judah. But in the midst of all this, he forgot that it was God that had done it for him. The moment we forget God, the Bible describes nations that forget God are turned into hell. Can I tell you, hey, people that forget God, their life is turned into hell. I see his promotion. I see his pride. But then I want you to notice his presumptuousness. Now, what exactly was his sin? Well, the Bible says in verse 16 exactly what he did. The Bible says he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now, to you and I, living in this dispensation of grace, far removed from Judaistic worship, this may seem like a slight sin or a slight trespass. We might look at it like it's just some sort of religious social faux pas that that Uzziah made, that he merely was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But God does not speak of it in such light terms because Uzziah knew exactly what he was doing. You know what helped your life and my life a lot? If we quit pretending like we don't know what we're doing. I'm just going to say it again. That's all right. It would help you and I if we quit pretending like we don't know what we're doing. I don't know about you. I, I, I Oftentimes when I sin, I become the most ignorant person to ever walk face the earth. Some of you all say, well, preacher, you must sin a lot. Well, amen, I do. All of a sudden, man, when I've done something wrong, I just become an innocent, sweet little lamb that doesn't know what I've done. That's how my flesh behaves. That's how your flesh behaves. You know what help us? Hey, if we'd start getting transparent and honest about our sin. If we'd start being straight with God about our sin, if we would quit trying to qualify it, if we'd quit trying to soften it, if we'd quit trying to characterize it, and if we'd just be honest that we know better, that we know what we're doing. See, Uzziah knew what he was doing. Uzziah understood that he had no business and no place going into the temple to offer incense. His sin was not just wicked. It was not just corrupt. It was not just perverse. It was presumptuous. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, notice two things. Notice, number one, the person he sinned against. The Bible says this, he transgressed against the Lord his God. Can I tell you, every time you and I sin, we're not just sinning against the people that are hurt by our sin, and people are hurt by your sin and by my sin. People are hurt. People are damaged. You may not see that on the face of it. You may not recognize it immediately. My heart breaks. Listen, there's so many people who are destroying their families, destroying their lives, destroying their loved ones, and are unwilling to see that they're doing that. The fact of the matter is this. Your sin, you say, well, preacher, it's my life. I'll live it. No. Number one, it is not your life if you're saved. If you're saved, it is not your life. Don't I, I, I get so tired of hearing that. Hearing Christians say, well, it's my life. No, I'm sorry. If you're saved, it is not your life. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. There's no more pagan phrase a person can utter than it's my life. It's not your life if you're a Christian. You were bought with a price. You're saved by the grace of God. But hey, let me even go a step further. You say, well, it's my life. Well, your life sure affects a lot of people. Your life affects a lot of people. 
Hey, you got a mama, you got a daddy, you got a brother, you got a sister, you got a son, you got a daughter, you got neighbors, you got nieces, you got nephews, you got church family. You got people that your life affects. Who do we think we are? I'm just going to preach at me, all right? Don't get mad because I ain't preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. Who do we think we are to think that our life does not affect people? Hey, the reality is your life and mine, we affect people. He transgressed, but it wasn't those people that the Scripture points out. He did not say, Uzziah, you've sinned against Jotham, your son. Uzziah, you've sinned against your wife, the queen. Uzziah, you've sinned against the nation that depends on you. You know why? Not because he hadn't hurt those people with his sin, but because there's someone he had hurt deeper with his sin. Who was it that he transgressed? He transgressed the Lord. i tell you something, your sin hurts God more than it hurts anybody. And if you don't care about that, that bespeaks a deeper problem than whatever your surface sin may be. A lot of the reason society is the way it is is because we just don't care how God feels about things. Does it ever enter into your mind? And I know, I understand, your flesh shouts down the, the voice of Scripture and the voice of your conscience and the voice of the Holy Spirit in those moments when you yield to temptation in your life, just like mine. I understand that. But how often do we, when we get involved in sin, we just we somehow manage to block out, to blot out from our mind and our heart the effect that it has on God? I'll tell you this, it's not going to be your mommy you're going to stand before one day. It's not going to be your daddy you're going to stand before one day. It ain't going to be your brother, your sister, your wife, your family, your loved ones. But one day, every one of us is going to stand before a holy God. And we're going to have to answer for the things that we've done. I see the presumptuousness of his sin. One, because of the person that he sinned against. But then, number two, because of the place that he sought. The Bible says this, he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now, again, to you and I, we may say, well, that seems like some slight transgression. That seems like some small trespass against some religious formality. But understand something, the priesthood was consecrated of God. God had given the instruction for how the priesthood and worship was to be dispensed and carried out in the Old Testament. And this is why when he sinned, he sinned against God. Azariah hadn't made up these rules. The priests hadn't made up these rules. The people hadn't voted on these rules. No, friend, God had dispensed these rules. And so when he went in and sought to take the place of the priests, he sought to take something that God had appointed for himself. You know, sin fundamentally is robbing from God. You listening? Sin fundamentally... All my ameners are out of town this week. Come on, help me. Sin is fundamentally trying to steal something from God. He said, Preacher, I've never stole anything in my life. Number one, that ain't true. But number two, even were it to be true in the sense of the technical term, anytime we sin, there's something God has cordoned off for himself. And he said, this does not belong to you. And we are seeking to take that thing for ourselves. One of the most vivid examples in Scripture is of Achan in the Old Testament who literally takes of the accursed thing and steals from God concerning the spoils of the city of Jericho. But in many ways, that's just an analog for what every sin is in our life. What we're doing is God saying, this is off limits to you. And we're saying, God, I don't care about your limits. I'm going to take what I want anyway. He sought to take something that belong to the Lord. And he it's interesting. And here's where I want to give you my title, and I want to frame this message a little bit. What he did was he sought to take Azariah's place. Now, I want you to notice something in our text. Look with me at verse 19. You know, everything Uzziah had done could have been undone. Uzziah was not made a leper because he sought to burn incense. You know how you know that? 
Because God gave him a chance to drop the censer and to walk out the doors of that temple. See, here's the problem. We look at it very often and we say, well, I made a single mistake and God chastened me. No, you didn't make a single mistake and God chastened you. You made a mistake that you refused to deal with and God chastened you. I have never once in my life had to discipline my child over something that they did not know was wrong, that when they were told was wrong, they ceased from doing. It is only through persistent rebellion that the chastening hand of God comes into our life. And I want you to notice what verse 19 says. The Bible says after Azariah confronts him, after the priests confront him, after they say to him clearly, Uzziah, it appertaineth not to thee, you have no business being here. How did Uzziah respond? Verse 19 says this, then Uzziah was wroth. In other words, he was wrathful. He was not humbled by what was said to him. He was wrathful over what was said to him. And the Bible says this, he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. Now, this is interesting. I'll say a word about it more here in a moment. Why does the Bible tell us he had a censer in his hand? Because it's not until after the leprosy arises in his forehead that he drops the censer. He stood there in anger, trembling, clinging to that censer. Why? Because the Bible says this, that he was wroth. He was angry. And the Bible says in verse 19, while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. He was wroth with the priests. Now, lest you think I'm talking about getting mad at the visiting evangelist, getting mad at your Sunday school teacher, you'd never get mad at your pastor, so I ain't even going to mention that. But getting mad at the visiting evangelist or getting mad at the Sunday school teacher, here's how I want to frame this this morning. I want you to notice this man named Azariah. His name means Jehovah has helped or the help of Jehovah. He is the high priest over the nation. He is the mediator. He is the intercessor. He is the means of Uzziah having a relationship with God. And he's the man that helped Uzziah get to God. He is literally the embodiment of the help of Jehovah. And you know, he reminds me of somebody. It's funny. I read my Bible and all the time I'm getting reminded of somebody. I'm reminded of a helper that we have in the New Testament. I'm reminded of a priest we have in the New Testament. I'm reminded of an intercessor we have in the New Testament. I'm reminded of a mediator, a daysman betwixt us that reconciles us to God, that facilitates our relationship with God, that mediates our interactions with God, that intercedes for us on our behalf before God. And He's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible describes him as such in Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see, the reality of what happened this day is not that Uzziah became a leper because he went in and tried to burn incense. Uzziah became a leper when the God-appointed confrontation, the man that was tasked and was appointed to come before him and withstand him, withstood Uzziah, disclosed his sin, rebuked his heart, rebuked his actions. Uzziah, instead of becoming repentant, became wrathful. Can I tell you something in your life? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going to break God's heart. You're going to disappoint the Lord. You're going to hurt your family. You're going to do wrong things. You don't have to have a life that is derailed because you mess up. But listen, it, it, it ain't messing up. It's stubbing up that can destroy your life. I want you to notice within this frame of thought three things this morning 
about this interaction. And I'm preaching to you just to say it explicitly about in our lives when we sin and God convicts us of that sin and deals with us about that sin. How do we respond to that sin? Are we repentant or are we wrathful? Are we obedient or are we obstinate? Are we sincere or are we stubborn? And it could be this morning God's calling your name and God's dealing with you about something. And I wonder how you're going to treat our great high priest as he deals with you this morning. Notice three thoughts and I'll be done. Notice, number one, the confrontation of the king. I love this. Azariah had to be terrified when he approached the king. I mean, you understand that priests had been killed for lesser things than what Azariah does when he approaches Uzziah. But you see, Azariah loves the nation enough and loves Uzziah enough that despite how uncomfortable, despite how awkward, despite how terrifying, despite how risky it may have been, Azariah loves Uzziah enough to not let him sin unchallenged. i tell you something, God loves you enough to not let you sin unchallenged. And so... Azariah and the other 80 priests, they come in and they approach Uzziah and they immediately begin to confront him. I'm glad God confronts us about our sin. And I promise you this, if you're saved by God's grace, if you're his child, hey, every son whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and he scourgeth everyone that is his. If you are saved, if you are on your way to heaven, then when you sin, God will let you know about it. He will confront you just as these priests confronted Uzziah. Notice the three things they did. Number one, they defied his sin. Verse 17, Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And I like this. They withstood Uzziah the king. Notice the three groups of people that he was defied by. Number one, he was defied by Azariah himself. Can I tell you something? Christ is our high priest, and he is grieved when we live in sin. He he will deal with us. He will address us. If you think sin won't affect your relationship with God, that's simply a lie that you have bought and filed away in your heart and in your head. The fact is, every time a believer sins, it disrupts their fellowship with the Lord. Listen, your sonship, your status with God, your position as a saved individual is never in question. It is never disrupted or disturbed. Hey, we may deny Him, but He cannot deny Himself. But you better believe that our fellowship with Him can absolutely be disrupted by our sin. There's nothing my child could ever do would make Him not be my child, but there's absolutely some things that my child can do that would disrupt our fellowship. There are some things that if they do, we can't be okay until that thing is dealt with and until that's addressed. I think that's healthy. I'm going to say it again. I think that's healthy. I think, listen, you understand, the way we parent our children, we are, we are conditioning them to a perspective of God. You understand that, right? If you never have grace with your kids, then your kids are going to grow up to believe that God never has grace. If you are never uh, uh, disciplinarian with your child, then they're going to grow up to believe that God never disciplines us. If you're hypocritical with your children, they're going to grow up to believe that God is hypocritical. They, they, they understand who God is at a young age from who their parents are because in many ways their parents are as gods unto them at their young age. And so, in our life, my, my child has never done anything that would disrupt his status as my son, but he's absolutely done some things that would disrupt his fellowship. And listen, your sonship is never in question, but your fellowship can very much be disrupted by your sin. 
said, preacher, what will happen if you get in sin? Your Azariah will confront you. Your high priest will deal with you. He was defied by Azariah. But then notice number two, he's defied by the priests. Now, what do these priests represent? Well, it's interesting. They are all under the tutelage and under the governance of Azariah. But because Azariah can't be in every place at every moment, he has these priests to carry out other tasks within the priesthood. Undoubtedly, if it were possible, uh, it would have been preferential for Azariah as the high priest to have been able to carry out every task. But because he cannot, these other priests that are, we might say, made in his image or are the representatives of his authority are carrying out these responsibilities throughout the rest of the priesthood. I don't know what it reminds you of, but it reminds me of an interesting dynamic relationship. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the second person of the Godhead. He's the Son of God and God the Son. He is a literal individual. We could use the term a being, a person, a personality. But did you know the Bible also describes a a, a spiritual union and harmony betwixt the person person of Jesus Christ and the content of the Word of God. The Bible says this of Jesus, that He was the Word made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His glory like as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Likewise, the Bible equates the Word of God to Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in other words, though my high priest is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for me, I'm not without His words, and I'm not without His thoughts, and I'm not without His counsel, for I have uh, 66 little priests walking around speaking to my life day by day. In other words, these priests remind me of the testimony and witness of the Word of God. When I sin in my life, I'm not just called out in my relationship with God by it being disrupted uh, in, in my fellowship with Him. I'm also called out by the explicit text of God's Word. When I read the Bible, and that's very often why in our lives when we get in sin, we don't want to read our Bible. It bothers us. When we're walking with God, the Word of God comforts us. When we're not, it convicts us. And so there's a multitude of witnesses in God's Word that are speaking against us. But you know, I found another interesting truth. Uzziah is the name that is given to this king in the book of, of Second Chronicles. But did you know that he's called by a different name in Second Kings chapter 15? In fact, I'll turn there. I'll read it to you because you probably won't believe me if we don't turn there and read it. Second Kings chapter 15 says this in verse number 1. In the twenty and seventh year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Now, lest you think I'm reading of a different person, the Bible says down in verse number 3, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burned incense still on the high places. And the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the house judging the people of the land. So in other words, in Second Chronicles, he's given the name Uzziah. And certainly that was his name. But he also went by another name. Other people would look at him and they would call him Azariah. In fact, it's not unlikely that part of the reason he went by the name Uzziah was so as to not confuse him with Azariah, the high priest. In other words, it's interesting, it's instructive to me that when Azariah approaches him and rebukes him, it's Azariah, this is my other brother Azariah. 
In other words, he is literally looking into the eyes of a man that bears the same name as him. You know what it reminds me of? Hey, listen, we're not just dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just dealt with uh, by the testimony of the Word of God. We're also dealt with by our own conscience. We oftentimes, I think, speak in a derogatory way about conscience because there's a great many people whose consciences are seared and whose consciences are smoothed by by the lies of, of the devil. But the reality is the conscience is part of the witness that God has given against our lives. Before the Holy Spirit took up residence in people's hearts and lives and before He began to minister in this New Testament age, conscience was the chief and primary means that a Gentile could know that he was wrong with God. The fact is, our conscience itself bears witness against us when we sin. I've seen people that get involved in sin, and man, you can tell it. You can see it in the bags under their eyes. You can see it in the gaunt, haggard look upon their face. And it ain't just because they got young kids. Somebody say amen to that. You can see it in their life. You can see the light that's gone out of their eyes. You can see the smile that is no longer there. Say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. There's a multitude of ways God deals with us. When we sin, I see he was defied in his sin. They defied his sin. But notice number 18, verse number 18. The Bible says this, they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, it appertaineth not unto the Uzziah to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. You know what I like here? They, they not only defied his sin, they described his sin. They didn't say, Uzziah, you've done something wrong. Wonder what it is. But instead, they clearly delineated, they they clearly disclosed exactly what his sin was. Can I tell you a precious thing about the Lord? He don't just give us hints that something's wrong. He will tell us clearly what is wrong in our life. This is part of the reason, by the way, we ought to submit ourselves under the authority of the preaching of the Word of God. Because it's one of the ways that God deals directly and specifically with our life. You ever felt like the preacher had been reading your mail? Hey, listen, I got news for you. Most of us preachers, uh, we already know too much about our people. If we had our way, we'd find some way to forget some of the things we know about some of y'all. It ain't that we're prying into your life. It's that somebody that is in your life is taking the Word of God and applying it in your heart and in your life. It's that the Holy Spirit of God that knows where you've been and what you've seen and what you've said and what you've done that lives within every born-again believer is taking the precious Word of God. The Bible calls it His sword. And He's taking and carving you into with it. I like it, man. They described His sin. But then notice number three, uh, they denounced His sin. The Bible says in verse 18, they said, Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. They didn't say, Uzziah, you've sinned. You've done a terrible thing, but it's probably no big deal. Instead, they tried to apply to him and tried to, to, to get him to understand the weight and the severity of what he's done. Can I tell you something? If you're looking for somebody that makes small of your sin, don't talk to the Lord about it. If you're looking for somebody that will excuse your sin away, don't talk to the Lord about it. If you're looking for somebody that will be honest with you about your sin, the Word of God will be honest with you. The Lord will be honest with you. Notice two things that they said when they denounced it. Number one, they denounced it as defiling. They said, go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. 
Now, it was not forbidden for a king to enter into the sanctuary. In fact, it was a regular part of their hopefully everyday devotional life with the Lord, but certainly a part of their public office. In fact, the Bible describes Solomon as building a walkway that went from the palace to the house of God so that he had a separate place that he could always get into the house of God. It wasn't that it was wrong that he was in the house of God. It was wrong what he was doing in the house of God. But once he gets in sin, here's what he says says, you need to leave. You're unclean. We use that term unclean in terms of hygiene or we use it sometimes in terms of morality. But it was a very specific religious classification. It referred to somebody who was barred entrance into the house of God because something had defiled their life. And here's what they say, Uzziah, you need to leave. Things ain't right. I'll tell you something precious about the Lord. He won't just, and my soul, He won't help us be a hypocrite. I know you've heard me say that probably a dozen times, but He won't help you be a hypocrite. He won't ignore your sin. He won't pretend like everything's okay. He, He won't pretend like everything's fine. He loves us too much to help us be a hypocrite. He denounced it as defiling, but number two, He denounced it as dangerous. He says this, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. What does that mean? Let me give that to you in Appalachian English. Uh, Uzziah, this ain't going to work out well for you. That's what he's saying. It'll not be for thine honor from the Lord God. In other words, if you don't leave this place, it's going to be to your own destruction. That's exactly what happened. The Bible says his heart was lifted up to his destruction, but not without warning. Before he was ever destroyed, before he was ever diseased, before the the leprosy ever rose up, he had gotten ample warning from God. Uzziah, you better leave this place or you're going to be destroyed. The Lord's so precious. He doesn't have to, man. Let me understand that. He could, hey, listen, he could just leave us unto ourselves. He could just go. He could just ignore us. He could say, if that's what you want, then I'll let you live that way. But he loves us too much and he warns us. Something you'll experience in your life is that oftentimes people that you warn against wrong decisions will despise you for it. They'll say you're against them. You're against me. You hate me. You don't want me to succeed. You don't want me to be happy when none of that is the case. You know, often I wonder how many times we look at the Lord and say, Lord, you just don't want me to be happy, do you? And, and, and the Father's heart breaks and thinks all I've ever wanted is for you to be happy. All I've ever wanted is for you to be happy. I see that he, he, he denounced him. So we, we find in this passage the confrontation of the king. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's not too late for Uzziah. Up to this point, it, it, it's not too late. In fact, we could say this, that There's not been a breakdown of God's system up to verse 19. Actually, God's system has been functioning perfectly. And can I tell you, in your relationship with God, understandably so, you might say, well, preacher, when I sin, when I do wrong with God, there's been a breakdown. Yes, in a sense, that's true. But understand, failure is not final. And God understands our frame that we are dust. And God knows you're going to make mistakes. He knows you're going to sin. And so when that happens, guess what? God has a protocol. And everything we've described so far is the protocol. 
The Spirit of God convicts you. Your relationship with God is disturbed and that hopefully spots your spirit. The conscience that God gave you won't give you any rest. The Word of God zeroes in clearly on what you've done wrong and God spells out in vivid detail what your sin is and how dangerous it is and how destructive that it is. Everything ain't broken, man. Everything's working the way it should. But in verse 19, everything breaks. Why does that happen? Notice not only the confrontation of the king, notice the indignation of the king. The Bible says in verse 19, then Uzziah was wroth. I'll tell you how I wish it read. I'll tell you how Uzziah today wishes it had read. I wish that it had read, then Uzziah was repentant. I wish it said, then he humbled himself. I wish it said, then he threw that censer down and fell on his knees and and asked God's forgiveness and said, Lord, I've sinned, forgive me. And God would have pardoned him and God would have cleansed him and the leprosy would have never arose. But it doesn't say that. It says then Uzziah was wroth. Notice what happened here. Notice, number one, the rebellion of his spirit. Notice what he did. Notice, number one, he would not surrender his sin. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. Now, I told you this a moment ago, but it's interesting when you read this text that the Holy Spirit goes out of His way to point out this fact. Do you know why that is? It points out that He has the censer in His hand because later on the Spirit of God will point out that He dropped the censer from His hand, that He threw it down, that He departed out of the, the temple, that he, that he left it laying there because initially, here's what He was doing, He was clinging to it. Can I tell you when things go wrong in our life? It's not when we fall into sin. It's when we become faithful to sin. It's not when we mess up, man. We all mess up. I mess up. You mess up. We all messed up. But it's when we take that sin and we cling to it. I've done it. I don't know if you have. I bet you have, but I know I have. Times when God has been trying to deal with me and I'm just almost like a petulant child. I've I've grabbed that sin and I've shook my face at God and I've shook my fist at Him and I've said, No, God, I will not let you have this. He refuses to surrender his sin. But not only that, he wouldn't submit his spirit. The Bible says this while he was wroth with the priests. Now you'd think a man with even an ounce of humility But you know, that's the funny thing about pride. Pride has the ability to vanquish humility. Understand, pride has to be cleansed before humility can take root. But if humility is in the heart and pride takes root, it will vanquish humility out of the heart. A man with an ounce of humility would have fell on his face. But instead, he gritted his teeth and he scowled at them. We can hear and we can see in this verse the rebellion of His Spirit. Now, listen, I'm here. If I was to boil down the message into one fundamental truth, it is this. When you sin and God deals with you, don't bow up on God. Don't rebel against God. Bow yourself before Him. Surrender your sin. Submit your spirit. Ask His forgiveness. We all mess up. Failure's not final. But listen, rebellion can be. The Bible says in the Old Testament, it says the sin of witchcraft. You say, preacher, a little rebellion ain't never hurt nobody. A a little rebellion has destroyed many a person. It's worse. God, Listen, God would rather you be drawing pentagrams on the floor and sacrificing goat heads than to have a rebellious spirit. It's worse than rank pagan idolatry. I mean, the worst of the worst. Hey, listen, we, we live in a pagan world. You understand that, right? 
And a lot of times we can get real sanctimonious of the fact that we're not a part of that pagan world. But God looks at your rebellion as just as wicked as their pagan is. He looks at your, at your rebellion as just as wicked as their heathenism and their hedonism. He looks at you in your rebellion and your disobedience. And that's what grieves his heart. I see the rebellion of his spirit. Then notice number two, the revelation of his sin. The Bible says in verse 19, when this had happened, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead from before the priests in the house of the Lord from before the, beside the incense altar. He was afflicted with leprosy. You know, leprosy in the Bible is inextricably linked with the concept of sin. And it's not to suggest that every leper in the Bible was a leper because they had sinned. But it is to say that God used leprosy as a type, as a figure, or as a picture of what sin is. God used leprosy to show that what corrodes and eats away at the inside spiritually will manifest itself outwardly and destroy our lives. And he points to this leprosy. In the life of Uzziah. Notice two things about it. I don't even have this in my notes. But I want you to notice it came from the inside out. Now that's interesting because that's opposite of what leprosy normally does. Leprosy was a communicable disease. That's the reason whenever a person was a leper, they, they, they sent them off to a leper colony and the Bible describes, hey listen, long, long, <laughs> long before medical science thought they knew anything about germs, God had already given the law of the leper in the Old Testament that they were to stay downwind of people and that if they were coming towards someone, they were to cry out unclean, unclean. Why? So that they wouldn't spread that leprosy around. Normally, the leprosy would take root on the outside and bore inside, but it does the opposite in Uzziah's case. Why? God is using a vivid picture here of how sin operates in our lives. It came from the inside and moved outside. Notice where it originated. It didn't rise up on his chest, above his heart. It didn't rise up in his hands. It didn't rise up in his feet. It rose up in his head, in his forehead. In other words, the things that he thought within all of a sudden came to the forefront. You know, the real danger of sin in our life is not just the effect of the sin we've committed. It's the effect of the sins that that sin leads to. You may not be like me. Man, I hope you're not. I mean, my soul, we ain't going to have a church long if you're like me. But I, I will tell you that in my life, when I yield to sin, all of a sudden I find other sins easier to yield to. And there's sort of, and I've called it before, a clean slate perspective that I tend to have, and it's wrong. Don't follow me. Don't idolize this. Don't, 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 don't look at this as an example. But I oftentimes erroneously will look at my life like, well, it's a clean slate. I'm right with God. And then I commit sin and I have soiled the slate. And then I'll look at it like, well, you know, we're going to have to wipe this slate clean one of these days, sooner or later. Let's go ahead and just draw pictures on it. Can I say in our lives when we yield to sin often, that sin leads to another sin, which leads to another sin. What happens? The leprosy rises up. The things that were inside that would have never come outside, all of a sudden they find purchase in our life. Notice not only the rebellion of his spirit and the revelation of his sin, but notice the removal from the sanctuary. What did they do? Well, verse 20 says this, Azariah, the chief priest, And all the priests looked upon him. Behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out because the Lord had smitten him. They took him, king or not, grabbed him by the scruff of his collar and pitched him out the front door of that sanctuary. (laughs) I tell you, maybe church would run better if we ran it that way. I don't know. 
But it's going to take several of y'all to pick me up. Amen. <laughs> I guess if it worked that way, wouldn't there be a bunch of us out in the parking lot, wouldn't it? But I, 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 I'm, here's what I want you to see. Notice that he was not allowed to just stay in the house of God and pretend like everything was okay. He himself fled out. Notice he was kicked out of the presence of God. I'm thankful that the express presence of God never departs the life of the believer. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can be, we can be content with such things as we have. He, he hath spoken. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But there's a difference between the express presence of God and the experiential presence of God. And if you don't believe that, man, I worry about you. In other words, I know God's always with me. But there's times, man, when you're walking with Him and He's close to you. You're walking with Him and you know He's there. You're walking with Him and He's just so real and He's just so close and He's just so personal in your life. And listen, the express presence of God ain't going to go nowhere, but that experiential presence of God can be gone in a moment. Notice the Lord would not permit him to stay in His presence. He was thrust out by the priest. But notice number two, He was thrust out by Himself. He Himself hasted to go out also. Why is that? He knew He had no business being there. You know, it's interesting when you look at the life of Jonah in the Old Testament. It starts off with Jonah on the run. God tells Jonah, go to the people of Nineveh and deliver the word of the Lord unto them. And the Bible describes how that Jonah, instead of going in the direction of Nineveh, he instead goes to the seacoast and takes an, and, and, and gains fare upon a, a ship that's headed for Tarshish. Tarshish is about as far away from Nineveh in the known world as a person could get in that day. But you know, he wasn't running from Nineveh. The Bible tells us explicitly, he fled from the presence of the Lord. I've seen it. I've done it. I haven't just seen it. I've done it. Where I get sin in my life and I don't want to be around the places God hangs out. I don't want God dealing with me. I don't want God speaking to me because I know what he's going to say. You ever had somebody mad at you and you didn't want to talk to him because you knew what they was going to say? I remember there'd be times growing up, my daddy would come home every single day at 3.15, like clockwork. I mean, there wasn't no traffic back then. Every day, 3.15, like clockwork. And when we were growing up, we did something wrong. Very often, all our mama had to say was, you wait until your daddy gets home. And that meant something because daddy was coming home. <laughs> and it also meant something because we knew when he was coming home. And I can't tell you the times that I've sat there at the house and watched that clock at about 3.05 and just prayed. <laughs> just prayed for a flat tire. <laughs> prayed for... Blown head gasket, something. God, I don't care. Maybe the rapture, I don't care. Just something. Because I knew we was going to have a conversation when he came through the door. And I knew what he was going to say. And I was avoiding his presence. In your life, when you get sin in your life, you'll find yourself avoiding the presence of God. I, listen, I, there, there, I guess uh, there's probably better churches than ours. I ain't found them. And uh, I love our church. I might listen, you'll find a lot better preachers than me. But a lot of times the reason that people get out of church and stay out of church very often is because it bothers them to be in church. Why would it bother us to be in church? Well, sometimes it bothers us to be in church because that's where God hangs out. And he begins to deal with us and He begins to speak to our life and He begins to convict us of our sin. And because we know there's something wrong that we're willing, unwilling to get rid of, we, instead of fleeing from our sin, we flee from the sanctuary. I see his removal from the sanctuary. Finally, and I'll be done. I ain't even going to preach it. I'm just going to mention it. I want you to notice the condemnation of the king. I wish I could tell you things ended well for Uzziah, but they did not. 
things did not end well for him. And can I tell you that rebellion never ends well in the life of the believer. Never once has a person rebelled against God and it worked out. Always it brings destruction in their life. Notice what it did to him. Notice number one, he was diseased. Verse 21, Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. I want you to notice this leprosy overtook him. He was never cured of it. Even when he dropped the censer, the leprosy didn't go away. Even when he fled the house, the leprosy didn't go away. Presumably, he asked God's forgiveness, but the leprosy didn't go away. Notice three things that it did. Number one, it defeated him. The Bible says he was a leper unto the day of his death. What did he die from, preacher? Leprosy. That's what he died from. Eventually, the leprosy won out. And you know, the problem is, if we cannot learn how to humble ourselves before God, eventually the sin will win out. We may stay it for a little while. We may prevent it. We may prolong our survival for a little while. But only God. Hey, you know, one of the, one of the first things the Lord did in His earthly ministry was He healed a leper. What was He doing? He wanted people to understand, hey, this problem that nobody can fix, I can fix. This thing that nobody can cure, I can cure it. This thing nobody can heal, I can heal it. And can I remind you, if you won't come to God to have your sin dealt with, your sin won't be dealt with. And if you won't deal with your sin, your sin will deal with you. I see it defeated him. Notice not only it defeated him, but notice number two, it defined him. The Bible says he dwelt in a several house being a leper. The Bible says Uzziah the king was a leper. The Bible says in verse number 23, he is a leper is what they said. Now, this is a man who the Bible says had done great things and his name was spread abroad. He had invented siege machines and, and engines of war and he had prospered the land of Judah. He had enlarged their borders. He had advanced their position on the world stage. But nobody said that about him. They just said he's a leper. All the good he had done was wiped out by that one phrase. He was a leper. Huh. I can't tell you the numbers of people that wind up sad preachers' illustrations. And you know, a great many of those people lived many years for God. But that's not what anyone remembers them for. They don't remember them for their faithfulness. They remember them for their failure. And in your life, here's what you'll find. You let sin in your life, it will define your life. Notice, it also defiled him. The Bible says he was cut off from the house of the Lord. He never again got to go in and worship at the sanctuary. Why? Because that leprosy was still there. Can I tell you, you say, preacher, how do people wind up chronically out of church? Oftentimes it's when sin gets in their life and they're just unwilling to deal with it. And instead it just becomes a perpetual existence in their life. If you've already made up your mind you'd choose your sin over the sanctuary, there's nothing left to discuss. Why would you ever go back to church? I see it. He was diseased. Notice number 20, uh, number 22, verse 22, or number 22. We're probably on point 357. Verse 22 says this, Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. It says in 2 Kings 15, Jotham reigned in his stead. I would say this, he was not only diseased, he was displaced. He was put on the shelf. He wasn't fit to rule anymore. He couldn't be king anymore. What were they going to do? Have a royal procession and, and march their leprous king out to present to the people? They couldn't do that. So instead, he was put on the shelf. World leaders would never again see him as a powerful ruler. They'd see him only as a leper, like his closest friends and family did. And so here's what had to happen. Sad as it was, 
he didn't get to rule anymore. He probably tried to get it right. It didn't matter. He was a leper now. He couldn't rule anymore. Can I say, there can be things that we do in our life that displace us from being used of God in the way that we would desire to. I'm glad there's always a way that God can use us. But I don't want to mince words with you. And I I think for too long, preachers have done that. I'm glad that we have a God of second chances. I'm glad that failure isn't final. I'm glad that God can restore us. I'm glad He can give back the years that the moth has eaten and the caterpillar has eaten and the canker worm has eaten. But make no mistake, there are lines you can cross that you can't uncross. There are sins you can commit that you can't uncommit. There There is damage you can do that cannot be undone. I don't say that to grieve those that have done it. I say to warn those that are getting ready to. Don't make mistakes that you can't erase in your life. Because there can be things that you do in your life that prevent you from being used of God. He was diseased. He was displaced. And verse 23 says this, So Uzziah slept with his fathers. means he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belonged to the kings. Now this is interesting because the kings weren't typically buried in a grave in a field. There were sepulchers. You remember Peter talks about in the book of Acts, David being dead and says his sepulcher is with us to this day. And often throughout the Old Testament, not only kings, but priests and the patriarchs, it was a, it was a, a matter of esteem and of honor that they be buried, not in a field, but in a sepulcher. If you don't think that's an honor, go price them sometime down at the funeral home. Amen. They buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. Even after he was dead, that's how they talked about him. That became the legacy of his life. Nothing else that he did, anybody ever talked about. I would say it this way. He was diseased. He was displaced. But finally, he was disgraced. Even in his death, he wasn't put in the same place as other kings. By the way, some of whom were lesser kings than him. But it didn't matter. All that mattered was he's a leper. It's all anybody remembered. It's all anybody said. I could tell you about men in ministry whom God used at one time to do great things, but they fell into sin. Some of y'all could name names. Y'all been around church a while. You could you could name names of pastors, evangelists. I mean, people got saved under them. The power of God was on them. God moved. Nobody talks about those meetings they had. They talk about the affairs they had. Nobody talks about the people that they won to the Lord. They talk about the money they embezzled. Hey, nobody talks about the great things that they did for God. They talk about the shame and the disgrace of their life. Listen, it could be you. It could be me. I told you at the beginning of this message, just because you have served God don't mean you will serve God. Just because you have at one time doesn't mean you will in the future. And you say, preacher, I want him to say about me, well done. He fought a good fight. He ran a good race. He finished his course. They didn't say that about Uzziah. All the good he did, they just said, he's a leper. Well, preacher, it's because he went in and offered incense. No, that's not why. Well, preacher, it's because he entered into a place he shouldn't have gone into. No, that's not why. There's other people that sinned and did things they shouldn't have done. Here's why. Because he was wroth with the priest. Because when the priest confronted him and dealt with him, instead of submitting himself and humbling himself and asking forgiveness of God, he instead bowed up, clung to that censer, and defied God to do something about it. You know what? God did something about it. 
When your high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, deals with your heart and your life through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, through the conscience that God uses in your life, how do you respond to it? Preacher, I've sinned, I've messed up, it's all over. No, it probably isn't. But if you refuse to let God deal with that sin, it will be all over. So here's the question. How do you deal with Him when He deals with you? And will you be willing to deal with Him this morning if He's dealt with you? Let's bow together. Musician's going to come and play. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what's been preached. I hope that God has dealt with your heart during the preaching. And I want you right now to respond to Him. If He's dealt with you, there's a reason for that. And so why don't you come and deal with Him this morning? Preacher, I've sinned, I've messed up in my life. Well, that doesn't have to be the lasting testimony. That doesn't have to be the end of it. But it will be if you won't let God deal with that sin in your life. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify your Son. I love you, Lord. I ask it in Christ's name.